0: Are standing, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as everyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Verse 47. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Amen. Eternal Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you this morning that you have granted us to worship you. And we thank the Lord for the majestic presence that Amen. we have. This morning with us, hallelujah. We are your people, your children. You brought us to the heavenly family by purchasing us with the blood of your begotten son. This morning as your children, we seek your face that you would talk to us, Lord. The few minutes that we spent Henceforth before you. We pray that you will deal with our hearts. We pray that you you will anoint this, this lips of clay of mine. To declare the oracles of God. That you alone will be taking glory here Lord. That the live, cross of Christ will be lifted here. That your people will be blessed. Thank you Father in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please be seated. morning and praise the Lord, those who are here and uh, those who are attending virtually from your homes or wherever you are, I greet you in the name of the Lord and uh, I really want to greet a special couple, they have been joined together in holy matrimony the other day, Jason and Sarah, congratulations. What a beautiful thing to be joined by the Lord. Hallelujah. You have been put together to demonstrate the power of God in your family life. To demonstrate the glory of God in your family life. And to bless the people of God through your family life. And as an elder of this church, I welcome you to this congregation. God bless you. We have read from Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 47 and I want to highlight verse 42 they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer and for the want of a better Title, I titled today's message, The Pentecostal Church. Acts 2.41 says that Peter concluded his sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people were added to them. They accepted the word and 3,000 people got saved by just one sermon. But that was not the end of the story. That was only the beginning of Pentecost. In the very next verse, the Holy Spirit says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowships, to the breaking of bread and prayer. That means, those who God saved lived a life of continued devotion to the study of the scriptures, to the fellowship of the saints, to worshipping God and prayer. But it starts with salvation. There were people who accepted the message of the gospel and were baptized in water and were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you today do you experience the assurance of salvation as you are listening to me this morning? Jesus Christ the son of God came into the world to save you and me. By believing in him we have eternal life and that is the essence of gospel. May I present this simple message of salvation to you, so that you would accept Jesus today as your personal Savior. Believe in Jesus. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. And you will be saved from eternal hell and eternal death. Instead of a once a week Sunday winch in the church to boost their spiritual energy like a fire of energy, or a spiritual rumble that you, some of you are familiar with. What the believers practiced was not that. They were not just satisfied with just a once a week experience. They practiced a continued and a daily devotion of spiritual life. By being saved they were plugged into the church. The mystical body of Christ. Luke refers to some very cardinal characteristics of this group in verse 42. And then he elaborates on them from verse 43 through 47. I truly believe that COVID happened with the full knowledge and permission of our God nothing happens without his knowledge and his permission. But Satan used it as one of the most successful opportunity in history to make believers turn their back on God. Church church goers sit at home today and some of the powerful evangelical missions have been closed. Pastors, around the globe have left this world. And some of them are still going through terrible situations in life. The doors of churches have closed all over the world. People stopped going to church. Membership dwindled, panic mounted in people's hearts. We are so comfortable now staying away from church And from other believers. What started as social distancing has become, has ended up as spiritual distancing for some of us. Now we have come even colder than we stopped missing those fellowships that we had. A virtual church has become a better option for most of us. In many churches, people even stop going and attending these virtual meetings even. And this is happening globally. They stop all kinds of relationship with the church. The past 15 to 18 months have affected our physical and our, our, our social life quite a bit. But our spiritual life suffered more. For some of us, Church has become an obsolete thing, an outdated thing. Dear Moody noticed that one day he realized that one of his members was not attending his services quite for some weeks. One day, what Moody did was he went to this man's house and knocked on the door. Just a cold and blustery and wintry day. The man opened the door and greeted Moody. Moody walked in and sat by the fireplace which was crackling with fire from a large fireplace and with large chunks of blazing coal in there. With no words from his lips, Moody grabbed, pulled a chair and sat by the fireplace and he grabbed the tongue and removed one piece of coal from the hearth and left it outside the hearth. And then he started a casual conversation talking nothing about this man's coming to church. But the host could not ignore something. The coal that Moody took out from the hearth has started turning colors. Just glowing when it was coming out. It changed colors. The glow is gone. It turned darker. It turned brown. Finally, it turned black and cold. The burning coal started to look like a piece of black something. When you stay away from the church, it is like staying out of the hearth. You slowly put, stop being everything that you were. You become cold. You probably have a good reason for staying away from church. Let me tell you that also. Some of you say that there are hypocrites in the church. To some extent you are right. The church has always had its share of hypocrites. There has been unfairness, immorality, greed and all kinds of sin and worldliness in the church. And in the lives of the church and in some of the leaders also. I'm very candid, I'm very blunt today. Because I want to speak to some of the people that are listening to me today. The Holy Spirit has given me a message that I am hoping will touch your heart this morning. Some of you have been personally hurt. And that's why you are staying out of the church. Betrayed. Put down. Silenced or burned by your church experience. And that happened even from some of the leadership in the church. Maybe you are bored in church. The boredom of empty routines. Of the same schedules. Of sermons that you couldn't connect to. The boredom of meaninglessness. But with all boldness and leading of the Holy Spirit this morning. I want to proclaim today that what strikes you as riddled with hypocrisy and boredom is absolutely an essential element for your spiritual survival in this world. You are placed here for your spiritual edification and growth as well as you through you, others to be edified. When you take yourself out of it, you stop being where God has placed you. You are out of the heart. Part of the problem is that we misunderstood completely the nature of the church. We talk about going to church in the same way as we go to the market, or we go to the bank, or to the or to the mall. We think of a church or the church as a place we visit and leave rather than a reality we live by every day. When we study the early Christians, they were not so much about going to church, as much as being the church. Nowhere is this more apparently written as is written in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. The Holy Spirit is teaching us that the church is not a place we go to, but rather a place we become, something that we become, we're transformed into. I want to just point out a few points that, I, that we can glean from these verses. It's very elaborate. I really don't have all the time, but I'm hoping that you will patiently wait until I finish. But hopefully I won't, it won't, I won't be too long. The early church was a learning church. They were a people eager to learn the Word of God as the Apostles taught them because we read that they were continually devoting themselves to the Apostles' teaching. We know that this is a group of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. But it would have been a lot easier for these believers to look back the day of Pentecost and to their own infilling of the Holy Spirit and say that we don't need to learn from the Apostles we need more of the Holy Spirit why do we need the Apostles to teach us when we have the Spirit to teach us in fact what happened with them was just the opposite when they got filled with the Holy Spirit they became learners of the Word of God They became hungry and thirsty for the word of God, teachings by the apostles. When you are filled by the Holy Spirit, you develop a genuine hunger for the word of God and the truth of God. The problem in churches today is that people are eager to experience new things, to hear new things, some new voice, some new visions, and new revelations, some new knowledge to satisfy us. False teachers and prophets and speakers are insinuating in our churches to derail the unsuspecting believers by their twisted theologies and instant revelations. The younger generation is especially vulnerable. These are so-called, these so-called teachers twist the word of God to their own advantage, it is high time that we discerned them and kept them out of our compounds. They are Satan's agents to derail innocent believers. When he saw the infiltration of such false teaching into the first century church, Apostle Jude sounded an emergency alarm saying that we must contend for the faith. Entrusted with the saints, verse 3 in Jude. Paul warns the Ephesian elders about these false teachers who would appear from among them after his departure. In Acts 10, Acts 20, verses 17 on, we read this. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to them the elders of the church. He starts talking to them, and after an introduction, In verse 29, he goes like this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul is warning that these false teachers insinuate into churches and they also come from their own, from their own group. Pentecostal church leaders are particularly vulnerable to this cataclysmic danger. You know why? Because Satan knows that they they have the most influence on the younger generation. There are more younger preachers among Pentecostals than in any other denominations. So Satan has the younger people targeted so he can get the entire globe to himself. Young leadership, whether you are a youth leader or a Sunday school teacher or a preacher, I plead with you to be grounded in sound doctrine. Do not follow these preachers who teach you as if Jesus came as a super uh, psychiatrist to make us all feel good about a continued life of sin. The theology makes sin less offensive, the atoning sacrifice of the Lord less significant, and, and hell a less painful place. They teach a gospel of compromise. They teach that the cross you are asked to carry is your vocation, your profession, your education. By saying that, the devil is hiding the real meaning of the cross that you are asked to carry, which is your shame for the sake of the gospel, the mockery you receive as a Christian, the ridicule you receive because you are a Christian, because you stand up for the truth, And the suffering you suffer as a Christian. And they are the prosperity prophets. They are the hyper-grace teachers. They are the prophets of a parallel gospel who try to propagate, name it and claim it. A parallel gospel of breaking curses and many such perversions that the scripture is totally unknown to. This kind of teachings will destroy your faith, your spiritual life. Take time to study the word. Don't preach anything you hear. You must know how to rightly divide the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do not use Google as your Bible reference library or to prepare your sermons. Curtail your urge to prepare instant messages. I know people who dedicate days and hours, several, several days before they deliver one one 30-minute sermon in the church. Apostle Paul is assuring the Ephesian elders that they will come, these false teachers will come to Ephesian churches only after he is gone from them. In other words, when I am here, it is not going to happen. Please pray for our elders and our spiritual leadership in the church and our churches because they must identify, they must discern the truth and stand up for the truth and weed out these false prophets. We must study the word with a passion. We must study the doctrines with a passion. There is no substitute for that. They are foundational to our faith and search the scriptures develop an appetite for the word of God. Also, the early church was a fellowshipping church. We use the word fellowship so much in our circles that we frequently fail to capture its full meaning. Many think that we are talking about a social time together We use the phrase meet and greet for it. Obviously there is a social aspect to it. I'm not discounting it. A meet and greet nature to it is obviously there. But it's much more than that. Fellowship is a basic attribute of the triune God. Fellowship is what we see between the three persons of Trinity. Between the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1.26, we read, "Let us make man in our image." That is the fellowship of the Triune God in the creation of man. Jesus, in His prayer in June, uh, John seventeen, says, "Holy Father, protect them by the power of Your name, the name You gave me, so they may be one as we are one." And in verse eleven. Reveals the fellowship, the unity, and the love between the triune God. Then again Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort from his love. If any fellowship with the Spirit. Then make my joy complete. The inferences. is. That the fellowship is a basic quality of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are bonded together in the eternal love. When the Bible says that God is love, that is what it means. That God love is the basic trait, basic attribute in the relation of the triune God. Hallelujah. And fellowship is the result of that love. When Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, now these three remain, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is love. He's defining love as the attribute among the three persons of Trinity from eternity past. That is why it is the greatest of the three It is eternal. It is divine. It is shared by God. The only one of the three that is shared by God. John 1 4 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The church is said to be the mystical body of Christ. You know, church is compared to many things in the scripture. a fence garden, an army fighting spiritual battle, a building with Christ as the cornerstone and we all as individual stones built attached to him. What a beautiful name we have for our church. But the most powerful analogy, in my opinion, is the most, and the most intimate analogy, is church as the body of Christ. One body with Christ as the head. We are different organs of that one body. So we are all dependent on the head, our Lord, and also we are all dependent on one another. It shows our unity. It shows our love. It shows our interdependency. Fellowshipping means all these the early church understood this. We remind ourselves about this fellowship. During our Lord's Supper. First Corinthians 10.16. It is, is not a cup of thanksgiving. For which we give thanks. A participation in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread that we break. A participa- participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf. We who are many. Are one body. For we all partake in one loaf original Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Meaning to hold something in common. To share something. As believers, there are things that we share. What do we share in? John 1, 1 John 1 3 says that our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. The most precious thing that we share is our salvation. Because we have relationship. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fellowship, this fellowship makes us forget all our differences. Our relationship with our God makes every other difference that we have obsolete. Hallelujah. Our de- racial differences, our socioeconomic differences, our gender differences, our status differences. The church was the first institution in history to bring together the Jews and the Gentiles, men and women, slaves and free, together. We must be people who are united in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is Christian fellowship. Our love for one another must be most evident in our fellowships. So it is more than just a meet and greet situation. We share in our fellowship to our God. We share in our salvation our heavenly family. The same Holy Spirit. The same word of God. But we also share out something. That's what is described in verses 44 of the scripture portion that we read. When the believers realized they had some things that they needed to share with others. They voluntarily sold and donated generously to help other believers. When the Holy Spirit enters a person's life, this sort of sacrificial giving is what happens. You see things from the perspective of God. You start loving what God loves. You start giving for matters pertaining to the church, to the fellow brethren, and to the mystical body of Christ. All of a sudden... You realize that money and possessions don't define you anymore. We must never evade the challenges of these verses any any time in our lives. In 1 John 3:17, it says, "Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him?" The fellowship means reaching out to the poor and the needy among you. The early church was a worshiping church. What do we usually mean by worship? This is also another word that is used very loosely in our our community. We have a section to our gathering called praise and worship. But if you looked around, and I did, Most of us were neither praising nor worshipping when the praise and worship was going on here. We do it as a routine. Not giving up, not living up to even the name of what is going on here. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to discount anything that we are doing. But is this really the worship that's mentioned in the Holy Scripture. This is hardly the worship that's mentioned there. Obviously there is music in worship. But there's more than that. The devil has deceived us to change our worship sessions into something that it is not. We have made it into some sort of feel-good moment. For us to worship We must know. I don't want to elaborate on that. Let me just jump and leave something out so you will understand where I'm coming from. For us to worship, we must know what worship is. What is worship? Worship is your natural response when you realize the awesomeness of your God. We must know the God whom we worship in order to offer the right worship. A true conviction of his holiness and his majesty is what we need before we worship God. It is the natural response of the created when the creator appears before him. You see in Isaiah chapter 6, a perfect picture of worship where the seraphims were worshiping him and in and day out You see that it's a lifetime commitment for them no rest they were covering their faces and covering their feet and they were covering with two left two wings that were left praising God for who he is holy holy and shouting the holiness of They were just glorifying God. Non-stop. Self had no place there. This is what happens in worship. And Isaiah, the onlooker, got convicted of his sins just by seeing that worship. He screams out, Woe unto me! I am undone. I am the one with unclean lips. A revelation of the Holy God will convict us of our sinfulness and compel us to transform. He is the God of glory. Yes, of course, you praise him for what he has done for you. Don't forget that. But worship is more than that. My worship is more than offering thank you to God. Don't forget giving thank you. But go beyond that. Know who your God is and offer worship that is worthy to him. In Revelation chapter 4, we see a similar picture of 24 elders worshiping the Lord, who was sitting on the throne. The 24 elders falls before the one who is sitting on the throne, laying their crowns before him and saying, You are worthy of our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power, every honor they received in heaven, including all their crown and reward. They worked and, and the reward they worked for all their earthly life became worthless when they realized the majesty and the greatness of God. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, our Lord is worthy of all our worship. Give Him all glory and praise and honor and power in our worships. Let His awesomeness fill our hearts with a holy fear as we worship him. The the first church was devoted to breaking of bread and prayer. Yes, breaking of bread refers to the Lord's Supper. What is important to realize that in a Christian worship, there is the Lord's Supper. It reminds us of the suffering and the death of our Savior and allows us to symbolically partake of the body and the blood of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 24, and 25. I'm not going to read that. A living church remembers the Lord's suffering and death in their worship. I'm almost done. They were a praying church. Acts 2, 42. We read, they're devoted to prayer. Here the reference is not just to personal prayer. Obviously we have to be people who develop a style of personal prayer, a lifestyle of personal prayer. A prayerless Christian is said to be a powerless Christian. But here the reference is to corporate prayer. When they came together, they spent time for prayer. Prayer was an integral part of their life. When people of God gathered, they prayed. In Acts 3, we read that Peter and John went to the temple at the time of prayer. They did not have church buildings there. So what did they do? They assigned specific times for prayer and they will gather in the temple courts. Hallelujah. The praying church continued to pray. They never stopped. Even as Peter was put in prison. And the Lord came down for them. I thank the Lord for the prayer warriors in our churches today without whom, our church histories would have been differently written. When you come together, do you spend time to pray? We have all kinds of gatherings these days. Zoom gatherings, family gatherings, young people's gatherings, older folks gathering, couples gathering, but how much time do you really spend to pray? I grew up in a generation That when we visited a home, we would not leave that home before praying. We would bless that home before we left. And it's a biblical model. Before you took a journey, you prayed. We know about Paul and the apostles. Practice that. Prayer reflects on our dependence on God. It makes us trust in God and give him all glory and honor for everything that we are and everything that we have. It takes the focus away from us as the most important person, but on the Lord. Let us become a praying church. Young adults, develop a habit of prayer in our daily routine. Spend time for prayer in your gatherings. Let your social gatherings be occasions to find time to pray let me conclude my final note is that this church was a growing church in verse 47 and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved saving lives is the Lord's business, it's not our business adding number to the church is the Lord's business, not ours. But when the people of God start gathering to seriously learn the word of God, when they start to have fellowship in love, when they start worshiping the Lord, giving him all the glory and honor and power and majesty. And when they start to pray, the Lord will have to make addition to their numbers. is the formula there you don't do any magic there you do what you are expected to do what you are asked to do and the Lord will add to your number cornerstone Church. we want to please God we want to be called God's people and we are if we are serious about it let us become people Who take time to study the word. To fellowship with one another. To worship the Lord out of reverence for him. To spend time in our gatherings for prayer. Let's become a church. That grows in our love towards one another. And a church like that cannot but grow. The Lord will add to our number our sanctuaries will overflow and it is my dream my prayer and my vision that the Lord does it among us these days that we grow to be a people who please him and to live in his perfect plan and purpose for our life and may the good Lord bless us with